the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. So do you feel it? You all got a heart beating inside your chest? That means if you can feel the music, you can feel the rhythm. What a difference a day made 24 little hours Under the sunshine and the flowers Well, there used to be rain yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to day with you, dear Now I'm a part of you, dear, 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 dear. Oh, my lonely lies are through, dear Since you said you were mine That moment of bliss Oh, that thrilling, thrilling kiss When it's heaven when you Find romance on your menu Talking about a difference A day I made I Well, when the difference is you Flowers, where that used to be rain. My yes, 
that you say? Well, it's got to be you, 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 talking about you. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is uh, one of the authors that's um, being touted as as uh, part of the Rick Riordan Presents um, grouping of uh, authors. And um, we're going to talk about that, but we're mostly going to talk about um, this, this new book. It's uh, the third book in a trilogy. It's called The Shadow Crosser. Uh, it's part of the Storm Runner trilogy by J.C. Cervantes. And uh, J.C. joins me by phone. Jen, welcome to the show. Hi. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for having me. Um, I was trying to remember, because this is um, this is all so familiar to me, that I, I'm not sure, but I think you've been on the show before. But uh, this is the third and final in a trilogy, did did you know when you wrote the Storm Runner that it was going to be a trilogy, or did you get to the end of Storm Runner and go, "Well, wait, there's more." <laughs> um, the second one, I did not know it was going to be a trilogy. <laughs> I I wrote the Storm Runner um, fast and furiously. I was on a pretty tight deadline, and there was so much more of the story to tell. So next came the Firekeeper, and there was still more story to tell, and hence the Shadow Crosser. Now, had you had you written a, a great deal before this trilogy? So, my first book, Tortilla Sun, came out, um, gosh, I think in 2010. And so, I had penned some other manuscripts in between. Um, and so, I had continued the writing, but I had never embarked on a series or um, a trilogy before. Now, one of the things that I um, that that I didn't mention is that in this trilogy we enter the mythological world of the Maya gods, and um, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to ask how you got interested in Maya gods and and that mythology, and and also um, how you ended up on Rick Riordan's radar. So I am of Mexican descent. I was born and raised in Southern California near the Tijuana border. And I can remember the stories that my grandmother told me, mostly about the God of death, darkness, and destruction, because I loved scary stories as a child. And they always stuck with me. I was a very avid reader, and and I spent a lot of time in the library. And I remember going into my school library and asking the librarian for books on my mythology. And, of course, you know, I was an insatiable reader of Greek and Roman mythology at the same time, and they didn't have anything. And I can remember her saying, well, we've got the Greek mythology, we've got the Roman mythology, there was a little bit of Egyptian, but there was nothing on the Mayan mythology or any of the Mesoamerican mythologies. And I can remember so clearly as a child thinking, oh, okay, well, this must not be an important tale to tell because only important tales get made into books. And so it's been such an honor to get to work on tales and a mythology that has been with me since childhood. Um, so I became connected to Rick Riordan Presents. Uh, it's a new imprint, and I was one of the first three to launch the imprint. And when a call went out, a proposal essentially, a call for proposals went out to agents, my agent contacted me and said, hey, do you have anything that you would like to submit? And 
you had to submit a synopsis in three chapters. And so I did, and we got a call the next day. And so that's, that's how that all happened. And it's when you were researching uh, Maya mythology, um, or Mayan mythology, I guess you would say, um, how much was there to find? And most people, all they know about the Mayan culture is the calendar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so everyone is familiar with the, you know, 2012 Doomsday. And if you understand how exceptional the Maya were as timekeepers, you would understand kind of that whole evolution where that idea came from, because we're looking at it through a modern lens. And they actually kept three calendars. Um, so I did a lot of research, you know, going back to original sources like the Popol Vuh, but also looking through texts that had been written. And it was really challenging, Tom, because many of the texts I found had competing stories, um, competing accounts. And so kind of pulling all of that together in a cohesive narrative proved really challenging. And a lot of that stems from the colonization when the Spanish came into this part of Mexico and other parts of um, Latin America, all the records were destroyed. And so, you know, archaeologists and um, historians and people who are writing these books have their own take on it, but many of them have been Americanized and Anglicized, and so you're looking at it through that lens. So I had to really parse through the information and do the best that I could pulling what I thought was going to be the most important um, and it felt the most real for me. Now, I called it the uh, the Stormrunner trilogy, which uh, uh, starts with the Stormrunner and the Firekeeper and, and now the final uh, installment, the Shadow Crosser. Um, to what degree uh, is this trilogy uh, informed by Mayan mythology? Pretty heavily. Um, it, the the Storm Runner begins with a boy, a Mexican boy here in New Mexico, who uh, has a volcano in his backyard. We have a lot of dormant volcanoes out in the Mesa where I live, which is actually where the idea for the story came from. And so we're really looking at it through the lens of a young Mexican American boy, and he's discovering everything about the Maya gods and the pantheon as the reader is discovering them. And so I did it in a way that was going to be entertaining to young readers while at the same time giving them a glimpse into this really fascinating world. And why did you want to um, have your protagonist uh, uh, exhibit a physical disability? You know, so I've been asked that question several times, and the answer is this. Um, and it's, it's not always the answer that people want to hear, but my characters come to me so often fully formed. And when Zane came to me in this way, I knew that he was a lonely boy. I knew that he had been bullied in school. I knew that he had suffered um, at the hands of kids, which is why he was being homeschooled. And when he came to me in this way, I really resisted writing him like that. So when I originally wrote, I, I there was no physical disability, but... As many writers know, as you develop your characters, they're pretty insistent. And and so I went back to what Zane originally wanted to be, and so that's how he came to me. It was not a, you know, preconceived notion or this idea of, oh, I really want to write a character who has this limp. This is how he came to me, and so I went with that naturally. 
More with author J.C. Cervantes, straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodin flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone. And Genesee Health Plan can help. I called and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, healthcare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together and together we'll get through it. The Tom Summer Program.com. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More with author J.C. Cervantes, straight ahead. Are, are these all, well, they're fictional stories, um, but how much are they based on Mayan mythology, and how much are they just simply informed or inspired by Mayan mythology? So, you know, each book has its own take uh, in terms of what's being introduced. So in the Storm Runner, we hear about the hero twins who are a very, very prominent part of Mayan mythology. And you see that in Native American mythology, you see that in other mythologies around the world, this idea of these hero twins. And and so we get a glimpse into that. And of course, I fictionalize them in a way that you know, what would it be like if they were contemporized? What would it be like for these hero twins? What if their story really wasn't what history is telling us? What if they had tricked everyone? So, Because so often, you know, the hero twins are tricksters or there are tricksters in mythologies. And, and so you get that. But I think more than anything, and then the Firekeeper, you get some of the Red Queen. And in the Shadow Cross, you get the 400 boys, which is another tale with this giant Zipopna who has killed these 400 boys. And so I bring in these 400 boys as ghosts, and you get a little bit of these specific tales. But in terms of um, the mythology, I would say that it is more reflective of the pantheon. And so you get the gods and goddesses and what they represent with sprinklings of whether it's the cosmic rose or whether it is, um, you know, about... Uh, Chichen Itza, El Castillo, or any any of those, you know, because we have many of these beautiful, beautiful archaeological sites still standing. And and so more than anything, it was really reflective of the pantheon because we really don't have many of the myths. We, we don't have those written tales. I mean, I think there are probably, oh gosh, I think the last count, there were four um, codices, which is, um, these written accounts, they're, they're all over the world. Um, I think they found another one recently, so now we're at five, but they are not complete. And so we have those, and then we have, obviously, the glyphs that are found in the, um, at the archaeological site, but even those are not entirely complete. And then, of course, we're interpreting them um, through our own lens. And so that's, that's, I think, what has been so significantly um, really disappointing and sad for me in, in the reclamation of my own heritage is that we have these beautiful stories that are lost forever. I always ask writers, um, Jen, how, um, whether they come up with characters first and then a, a story that would happen to them or if they come up with a story and then sort of cast 
characters uh, into that story. Um, it sounds to me like like with these uh, with this trilogy in particular that it's sort of a hybrid. There were characters that already existed. I, I would say that that's fair. I think that for me, the very first thing that always comes to me is a scene, um, an entire scene. And so I will often write down that scene, um, or I'll always write down that scene if it's something that is of interest to me. And then I put it away and I let it steep for a while. And so with, you know, I, I have written other books since this trilogy and I'm working on others. And every on every single account, Tom, it's been the scene that comes to me first. And so with Zane, um, I had the scene, the setting. I knew that there was something dark and evil living in this volcano. And I knew that there was this boy. Um, and then, and then the rest kind of follows. So I would say at the very minimum, I have the initial character, the scene kind of setting up. And it's always the first scene, which is interesting to me, um, that kind of sets up the rest of the tale. And then that's what unfolds for me as I continue to develop the story. Why wouldn't you come up with the first scene first? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only it were. You know, a lot of, I actually have a lot of author friends, they write chapter 22, then they go back to chapter 3, then they write chapter 18. And I'm a very linear writer. Um, I always have been. Sometimes if I know, if I'm really clear that there's going to be a specific, let's say a fight scene, and I'm kind of in the mood to write a fight scene, I will sometimes write that scene and just set it aside, knowing I'm going to come back to it later. But for the most part, I write linearly. But yes, Tom, <laughs> why don't we just start at the beginning all the time? <laughs> well, but but I also wonder about the process. If you sort of outline where the story's going and 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 then sort of fill in that, that outline, or if you sit down and, and write and it writes like a narrative. That's such a great question because when I first began writing, I didn't know that I was writing a book. I was just writing a story for my daughter. And that ended up becoming my first book, Tortilla Sun. And I wrote exactly what you were just talking about, that it was this sequential process. It was in a very narrative fashion. You know, I start with this girl. I keep going because I want to know what's going to happen. So I was almost writing the way I read a book, whereas after that, I found myself writing myself into corners and my plots were twisted and everything got very convoluted very quickly and it was a very frustrating experience for me and so a couple of years ago I and I did resisting for so long becoming an outliner because I thought it took away from the artistic process um, I couldn't have been more wrong and so a couple of years ago I learned how to outline I learned to write at least those big turning points those pinch points of the plot because I want to be surprised as a writer, too. So I don't write down every single detail because we're often surprised as we're crafting a novel. And that's the fun, right? When you turn a corner and you think, oh, my gosh, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know the character was going to do that. So now I will write out a pretty solid synopsis. I mean, I would say at a minimum three or four pages. And then I like to work with poster board, you know, big poster board. I have post-it notes. I, you know, have arrows going on. You know, this happens in this, and how does that create a pinch point for the character? How is that creating tension? Because if we, especially for young readers, if you don't have that tension and there isn't something at stake at every turning point, they're going to stop turning the pages. 
And so, so now I absolutely outline, and it has saved me so much time. But I know a lot of people who don't like to outline. That works for them. I mean, everyone has a completely different process. Well, are you are you able to sit down with a blank screen and a and a and an outline and 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 just begin to write and and get a certain amount accomplished each day, or do you binge write? How how is that process for you? So I like I said, I have that first scene in my head, and I'm always so excited about it because if if it's something that has stuck with me and it's something that I'm continuing to think about, then the characters start talking to me, and I know I have to get it down because I, will, I, I lose sleep, I'm distracted during the day. And so I will, um, I always, yeah, I start with the blank screen. What's really nice, once you kind of get to that first scene, that first chapter, and you're happy with it, because I like to edit as I go. That's another part of my process. I don't do a sloppy first draft. So typically when I'm done with the draft of a book, it's, pretty solid. I mean, it's ready to be read by um, my agent or editor. You know, I might go through it one or two more times just to pick up some really simple copy edit notes or maybe something that I, you know, wanted to embellish or um, stretch out a little bit. But um, I edit as I go. So once I get that first chapter in, typically when I go back to my writing the next day, I'll reread what I wrote the day before because I want to orient myself back into the story. And I almost always stop at a place that tells me what I'm going to write next. Even if I'm exhausted and I end the day with, okay, tomorrow write X, Y, and Z, um, I'll do that. Or I will end on a note that I know, okay, this is what's coming next. So I really don't have much of a blank green um i guess in my mind after that first chapter because it all kind of starts flowing together for me if that makes sense yeah i just i just wondered that there are some writers who go off in a in a cabin someplace and and nobody (laughs) hears from them for months and then they come out with a book um is is it like that for you you mentioned you had been writing some other books along the way um can you juggle multiple projects? Oh, gosh. You know what? I, I wish I had a good answer for that, Tom. I, I'm now in a position where I have to juggle multiple projects. Um, I typically like to work on one. I mean, in a perfect world, I would work on one book at a time. And it has now happened that they will often overlap. So, for example, I'm working on a book now um, that is – I, I can't do, talk a whole lot about, but it's going to be coming out um, in 2021. I'm sorry, 2022. And I'm waiting for edits on another book that I finished this past March that are going to be coinciding. And so it's going to be hard for me to jump into this other, it was a, a kind of a darker fantasy. It's going to be harder for me to jump into that book while I'm writing this really lighthearted, fun, joyful book. And so I'm going to have to kind of figure out you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to create time during the day so that, okay, mornings might be for this one and evenings might be for that one. And then I have a couple of short stories on the burner too. So I'm, for the first time, trying to figure out how do I juggle all of it. So I keep a really, really intense calendar and I know how many pages I have to write a week on each project. Um, I know what I have to get done to meet those deadlines. 
And so that seems to be working for me. I don't generally go back and forth, so I won't start on one, you know, project A, and then an hour later go to project B, and then come back to project A. I really like to set aside time. And if it's just not working in that one particular day, then I'll take a day off from a certain project and work on the other. Um, so it just kind of, it kind of depends. But I don't, I don't know that I am doing a great job juggling it, but I'm now in a position that I have to do that. So, but to answer your question, I, I would definitely prefer to just work on one project at a time. Now, this, um, uh, this, this latest book, uh, The Shadow Crosser, is the third and final book in the Stormrunner trilogy. Um, but are your other projects Mayan-themed as well? So we have announced that there will be a spin-off um, duology. So I'm taking one of the characters from um, The Firekeeper and The Shadowcrosser. And so it goes back to one of the questions you had asked earlier, you know, is, is this book done? Are these characters done? And when I came to the end of The Shadowcrosser, there was a lot of loose ends, but I didn't feel that the story was veins to pick up anymore. It had morphed into the story that now belongs to this young other godborn. Her name is Ren Santiago. And she needed to kind of take it in the next direction. And so so that particular duology is going to be two books. That particular duology is going to be centered around her. So she, yes, is a godborn, so she is of Maya descent, but she's also um, she's also a Mexica Bruja. Her father was a Mexica Brujo, so she's of Mexican descent. And so I'm going to be bringing in some Aztec mythology as well. Um, in this next duology. So you'll see some of the Maya, um, you'll see a lot more of the Aztec. Interesting. Um, with the, the Rick Rioter imprint on, on these books, um, it, it seems likely that there would be at least some thoughts of film and television. Mm-hmm. Is... Are, are there discussions going on? Is that something you would like to see these characters uh, up on the screen? Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it would be such a wonderful cinematic experience, I think, especially for young viewers. And it has been optioned. Um, and I'm really excited because that's been moving forward. So we have a writer on the project, and I saw the, um, the initial um, pilot script. And so we'll see, you know, a lot of times things move forward and then they stall um, and then it gets re-optioned by another group or the original um, studio or streaming service or whoever's optioning it will option it again um, because they only have so much time to either commit to greenlighting the project or, or it has to be sold somewhere else. And, um, and so, so, yeah, we're moving forward on that. And I'm really excited to see what happens and where that goes. Um. Writing is is usually kind of a, a very solitary thing. Something you do, you know, research and writing and and editing and all of that is kind of something you do by yourself. How has the uh, the pandemic and subsequent uh, shelter in place recommendations impacted your work? Um, you know, it hasn't impacted my work from a physical space kind of um, way. 
Definitely from an emotional standpoint. I mean, I think all of us are looking at what's going on in the world today, the, everything that's kind of transpired during the pandemic, and I think it's taken a toll. I mean, it would take a toll on anyone. And so separating myself from what's going on in the external world can sometimes be really challenging. But then on the other hand, Tom, I'm so glad that I have these worlds to escape into, to be honest with you, that I can kind of shut out what's going on. So day-to-day... My life has not really changed a lot because I always work from home. I write in my studio. I I have the same habits that I had um, before the pandemic with the exception of social habits, right? So in terms of my professional work habits, not that really hasn't changed a lot. And, and, and what about launching a book? This is a tough time to be coming out with yeah. new material. It is, and my heart goes out to those who are debut authors this year because it's such an exciting thing. You're only a debut author once, and it's it's such an exciting, exhilarating time that should be celebrated, and I know that so many have been so disappointed because they haven't had the launch that they had seen in their dreams, um, and so that has definitely changed. Typically, I would be on tour, so I would be on some in some city um, this morning getting ready for school visits and book signings and um, and whatnot. And so that has definitely changed the travel. Um, you know, I would be scheduled to go to festivals and conferences. And so we're doing all that virtually. On the upside of it, you have more people that are able to attend some of these virtual events. So, you know, maybe an event would only hold 100 people, whereas now you could have many more join in virtually. So, you know, I mean, I, I try to look at the upside of things, um, but that has definitely proven a challenge for everyone involved in the book industry, not just the authors. And um, for young people reading this book, and, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, Jen, the, um, um, there's, there are certainly Mayan aspects to these stories in the, in the trilogy, and for young people reading that that become curious, is there a lot of history written about the Mayan culture and, and then when these uh, other books come out, the Aztec culture, are there, are, are there places where people can find out more about those cultures if they become curious? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's so much more out right now. And, and you know, some of them are pretty dense texts that are really challenging. Others um, have lovely um, photographs and pictures, and and you can kind of breeze through them. An author friend of mine, David Bowles, does an incredible job bringing to life many of these stories. And so I would definitely direct young readers to his work um, because he does it in such a, a unique and accessible way. And And he knows so much about the Mesoamerican cultures. And so... I, absolutely. And I think that we're so lucky that we have that because, you know, it, when I was a kid, like I said, there just wasn't anything out there. You know, I've managed to get through uh, most of this conversation without stumbling over some of the names in the book. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are uh, pronunciation challenges, to say the least. Um, is that by yeah. design to make them stand out more, or are, are these names that, that come out of the the Mayan myths and, and culture? 
No, they absolutely come out. And what's interesting is there are many languages. There are many Maya languages. It's not just one language. And so whether you're talking about, you know, the Quiche Maya or the, um, the Yucatec Maya, they all have these unique ways of speaking. And what's interesting is when the Spaniards came over, they started imparting Spanish. And when, when um, archaeologists and <clears throat> other sto- early storytellers were trying to tell these stories or come to an understanding of these gods, they would just assign them letters. So they would say God K or God H. And so they are so challenging. Um, I'm challenged by them too, but I wanted to keep them in there. And that's why there's a glossary and a pronunciation guide in the back of the book, because I wanted to honor that originality. Um, and, and they're so much fun to say. So when you actually, you know, say them out loud, like there, there's a goddess that I love, um, Ish Katow, and, you know, when you say that word out loud, and kids love it. So I do a lot of these words with the kids and a lot of these names, and she's the goddess of chocolate. So, of course, kids love that because I don't know any other pantheon. I haven't found it yet, Tom, that has a, um, a god, a goddess of chocolate. <laughs> and, and so absolutely, I, yeah, right? And then, of course, I love that because I'm, I love chocolate. And so, um, so that, was, that was intentional to keep that as original as possible. Yeah, the... Uh I think the closest that comes to that, Jen, is um, Homer Simpson's fantasy world, The Land of Chocolate. <laughs> hey, we have to, unfortunately, uh, Jen, we have to wrap it up here. I, I'm really enjoying our conversation, but I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more. Um, do you have a website? I do. Um, listeners can go to jennifercervantes.com. I'm also on Twitter, and I am also on Instagram. Well, Jen, thank you so much for spending this time with me this morning, and, and good luck with uh, the, the new book and um, everything else that you're working on. Well, I appreciate it, Tom, and have a wonderful rest of your week. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. That was uh, New York Times bestselling author uh, J.C. Cervantes, or or Jen, Jennifer. Um, She has, uh, this is the third book in the Storm Runner trilogy, which started with the Storm Runner and the Fire Keeper. And uh, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Thank you for calling North Shore Dock. Due to the current stay-home order, we are experiencing longer-than-normal delays. Your patience is appreciated. Thank you. North Shore Dock. Just say you're my husband. Okay, okay, I will. Hello? Hi, I, I, uh, I need to get my boat in before the weekend for Memorial Day. You probably need my name. It's Dr. Mark Mallory. Dr. Well, Doctor, we are too backed up right now, so there's no chance that can happen this weekend. Just say you're my husband, you little bitch. Uh, okay, well, what if I was to tell you that I may just happen to be the husband of the governor? Would that make a difference? No. The husband of Governor Gretchen Whitmer? Does that name ring a bell? Yes, sir. So now, how soon can you get my boat in? Not this weekend, sir. 
You do realize I am known as Michigan's first gentleman, don't you? Okay. That means nothing to you? Not really, sir. You tell him to get our boat in the water or I'll shut down all of Traverse City so fast his head will spin. Did you hear that? My wife is not playing games here. We want our boat in the water this weekend. Do you understand? I understand, sir. But there's no chance that can happen this weekend. He won't let us! What do we do? <sighs> just hang up. Uh, uh, actually I was just joking. Prank caller, prank caller, ba ba booey, ba ba booey! TomSummerProgram.com Hey! <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now! And now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular 
$1,000 doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The big thing I remember the most about uh, growing up as a child was kindergarten. Now, to me, the only thing, uh, kindergarten, the only good thing about it is that it teaches you how to say goodbye to your parents without crying. That's all. After that, forget it. They got nothing else for you to do. I remember standing in that schoolyard with 27 snowsuits on and uh, my idiot mittens, you know. The idiot mittens are the ones with the string that go up your arm and around your neck. And the only cool thing about it is if you talk in the left hand, you can listen in the right. Hello? How do you That's all right, fine. Find another kid with idiot mittens on, you run up, you pull his left mitten and he smacks himself in the face with the right. <laughs> yeah, I used to love to do that, boy. And we all stood in that line crying. Oh, where are we going? We're going to die. You're going to get us killed in there. And the next day, I was very cool. Goodbye, mother. Take care of yourself, won't you, dear? I should be home, oh, 12, 30, quarter to one, somewhere around there. Might be late. I may have a little milk with the boys, you know what I mean? Tell dad I'll see him around dinner time. Now, once they get you inside, they're lost. They got nothing for you to do because you're only five and you're too dumb to care about anything else. They try, though, you know. One, one, and two. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Right, yeah, cool, man. One, one, and two. Yeah, right. What's a two? <laughs> you don't care, man. So then, she takes... So then... They, they try these other things, basic things. No, no chairs in kindergarten. Everything's done on the floor. Sit on the floor, stand on the floor, you go home on the floor. Everything's in a circle on the floor so you can look at each other. Little ugly kids with pointed heads. <laughs> and beat time to Mozart. ta dun 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 How long do we have to keep this up? I don't know. Go another ten minutes, we'll beat her to death with these sticks, all right? <laughs> then she says, okay, children, it's time for a snack. 
Right. Now you're talking. Yes, Snack. I want a Hershey bar. Me too. Give me a baby room. Right. No such luck. She brought out a box and gave us each an old dried up brown, nasty tasting, gag you, stick in the throat, graham cracker. And you gotta pray for something to wash it down. Please, we're gonna die if you don't give us something soon. We got the hiccups and everything, please. She said, certainly. Went over, got a case of milk that's been sitting on the radiator for about 80 years. Nothing in the world better for a bunch of five-year-old kids than good old lukewarm, curdly milk. Yes, sir, we loved it. And the straws in kindergarten are the worst things in the world. Worst straws I've ever seen. They're good for one suck. You and that's it. Flat as a piece of paper. You're sitting up there. Then to top it off, she says, okay, it's time for a nap. Yeah, there's nobody in the world anymore wide awake at 11 o'clock in the morning and a bunch of five-year-old kids. 23 kids on 23 cots sleeping wide awake. Only one sleeping is the teacher. She's gone. Thank God for this break, boy. I'm telling you I graduated from that into the first grade. I always wanted to get into the first grade because you have your own desk in the first grade and that's just a part of being cool, man. Yeah, because I remember there was one guy that was just as old as the rest of us and his name was Richard, man. Richard was cool because he had his own desk. They skipped Richard because he could tie his own tie, you know. Yeah. They used to bring him up, bring him up before the assembly progress and the president of the school said, All right, we will now have Richard tie his tie for you. Yeah, yes, yeah, go Rich, yeah. yeah. Rich was cool, man. We used to pass by the room, man, and peep in the first grade and see them all in there sitting at their desk. You can see Rich. We try to make Rich laugh. We make faces at him. Hey, Rich. <laughs> Rich scared to laugh because he get a beating, you know. Now I got my own desk. Ta-da! I love this desk. Of course, they all look alike, but I gotta find out how to find my own. Of course, I don't want anybody to know that I'm not cool finding my desk. I sit down at my desk, look around. I know this is my desk, because I sit in front of Crying Charlie. <laughs> crying Charlie's got the coolest cry in the world, man. You can't hardly hear him or nothing. He just opens up his mouth and, <laughs> and tears roll down his face and everything, man. I know this is it, because I sit in front of him. So every time I come into the room, I just look for Crying Charlie, and I sit right in front of him. Of course, if Crying Charlie's absent, I don't know where I'm going to sit. You know. <laughs> Crying Charlie's absent, I go to his house and sit in front of him. You know. Yeah, got to fold my hands on top of the desk so the teacher will know what I'm doing. Got some initials on the top of the desk here. Somebody carved them all the way through to the floor. So when you write on your paper, you rip it. <laughs> Got an inkwell. Yeah, boy, they still don't trust us though. No ink in it. Afraid we'll drink it. And I would too, man. Ink is cool to drink, boy. Hey, drink ink about 325, go home with a blue tongue. Used to make my mother faint. Ma, yeah, look. <laughs> my mother was cool, man. She would faint for anything, boy. I used to get hit in the head with a rock, cover up the blood, wait till I get right up on her. Ma, look. Wow. We go, Ma, cool, yeah. She got me back one day, though. I was playing with my navel. You know, oh, navel, navel. My mother said, all right, keep playing with your navel. Pretty soon you're going to break it wide open. The air is going to come right out of your body. You'll fly around the room backwards for 30 seconds land. You'll be flat as a piece of paper. Nothing but your little eyes bugging out. Keep it up. I used to carry Band-Aids with me in case I'd have an accident. 
going to learn to uh, write in the first grade now. They give you this paper, grade triple Z. Grade triple Z paper with wood still in it. Big hunks of wood still floating around in it. You got to write around the hunks of wood. And the lines are about eight feet apart. They don't want you to miss getting in between them lines, man. Don't want you to start crying. They give you these pencils as big as a horse's leg. And you rest them on your shoulder as you write. A, B, may I have another piece of paper, please? I will, miss I want another piece. I learned the correct procedure for going to the bathroom in the first grade. You just don't raise your hand and, you know, say, may I be excused? You have to let one finger go up. If you want to do one thing, you want to do anything else, you have to let it see two fingers. In case of a tie, two wins out over one. For the longest time, I told the truth. If I had to go, zero one. And then one day it hit me. I was in the bathroom playing the soap dish game. Seven nothing, favorite me. And it hit me, now what's she got to know what I'm in here doing for? It's none of her business whether I'm one in it or two in it. That's why they put doors on the bathroom so nobody will know if you're one in it or two in it in here. And it's not bad enough that the teacher knows I'm one in it. The whole class knows I'm one in it. You go back in the classroom, people say, how was it? One <laughs> so I just started lying after that. You know, hey, if I had to one, one, <laughs> they think I'm one in it. Then I felt guilty and I'd go back and tell the truth. You know that one? Yes, it was really a two. <laughs> she wrote it down in her book, Bill Cosby did two twos and three ones today. I got an A in bathroom going. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Classic Cosby in the Comedy Spotlight wrapping things up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. I want to say thanks to all of my guests. Uh, first, I want to say thanks to uh, J.C. Cervantes, who was my guest this past hour. She is the um, New York uh, author of the New York Times bestselling Storm Runner series. Her new book is called The Shadow Crosser. It is the third and final in the trilogy. And she was one of the first to be part of the um, uh, Rick Riordan imprint series where he presents authors that that talk about, uh, well, um, stories that we don't usually hear. In this particular case, uh, uh, Jen, uh, Jen's books um, focused on the mythological world of the Maya gods. And then uh, before that, we talked with uh, Professor Jane Ward about her book, The Tragedy of Heterosexuality. And then we've uh, rescheduled. I had to to do a quick substitution for the first hour. We had some technical glitches on today's show. But uh, I substituted something for that. And we'll reschedule with Kimberly Friedmutter 
uh, as uh, soon as we can make those arrangements. Coming up tomorrow on the show, it's uh, economist Chris Douglas, followed by our weekly roundtable, Armchair Politics. If it's Wednesday on the Tom Sumner program, it's Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined tomorrow by East Village Magazine editor Jan Worth Nelson. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.